I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. I am so grateful that we have a season that's set aside in our, our culture to reflect upon the great gift that God has given us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while the world may celebrate other things during this season, this is what Christians celebrate. We celebrate the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, God made flesh, that He's come to earth to bring us to heaven. This is what Christians celebrate. And many Christians, uh, many people this time of year, uh, give gifts to celebrate the gift of Jesus. Uh, I assume that many of us have already given gifts to family or friends or received gifts from family or friends. But this morning, I want us to pause and to turn from thinking about whatever gifts we may have given or been given in the last few days or over the last month, to turn and think about the supreme gift the free gift that God has given in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want us to think about that from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And, and I've got to say that as, as we think about this text, I hope that we will see that the gift that God has given is better than any gift that we've given or ever could give. Uh, or, or it's better than any gift that we could receive uh, besides that that God has given. So I, I pray and, 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 and hope that we will be delighted in God's good gift to us in Jesus Christ. And this gift, it doesn't come to us, this gift from God doesn't come to us because we've been naughty or nice, but because God is, is gracious. He, he gives out of his own generosity and love. Jesus is the gift that we need. He is the, the gift that I pray that we come to appreciate, not just this Christmas season, but every single day of the year, every single day that God gives us life and breath. So let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, I think you can find the passage on page 943. Now before we take uh, a close look at this great gift that God has given from Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we need to consider what Paul has mentioned so far in the book of Romans. We can't just rip a verse out of context and make it say whatever we want to. We've got to understand what that verse means in its context. So it's important for us to think about what Paul has said. In Romans chapter 1, yes, the beginning at the beginning, in Romans chapter 1, Paul has introduced himself. He's introduced the theme of his letter, uh, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the righteousness uh, that God reveals from heaven. And um, he tells this church in Rome, he wants to speak with them about these things and how this gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And in fact, this, this righteousness of God that's revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has to be applied and it has to be given to us if we are to be saved. In other words, this righteousness of God isn't inherent in any human. Paul, he begins to make this case really in the last half of Romans chapter 1. And he carries the argument all the way through the middle of chapter 3. And in that section, Paul says that the Gentiles, that's everyone who's not a Jew by birth, that the Gentiles have not obtained the righteousness necessary for salvation. And Paul, he is an equal opportunity offender, and so he turns and says the Jews have not uh, obtained this righteousness either. And he concludes this argument in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, saying that no one is righteous, no, not one. In other words, everyone in the world is unrighteous. This is hardly good news for humanity. Neither Jew nor Gentile is good. But as we'll learn from Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we've got to understand just how bad things are 
if we're going to understand and appreciate just how good God's gift is. After Paul emphasizes that all of mankind needs the righteousness of God, he tells the church in Rome just where that righteousness can be found. So in the last part of Romans chapter 3 and in all of Romans chapter 4, Paul tells the church of Rome and us that we are given this righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The one who is perfectly righteous. You see, there was only one who is perfectly righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. And so, Paul, he spends virtually the rest of his entire letter looking at this good news and its implications from different angles. In Romans 5, Paul tells us that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're reconciled to God, and that we have peace with Him. Not only that, but we're united to Him. And this means that we're to live in the power of Jesus' death and His resurrection. That's really what a great deal of chapter 6 is about. The chapter that our text is in. And the verse that we're studying, Romans chapter 6 verse 23, is the last verse in the chapter. Take a look at Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're going to study this verse under three headings. What we've earned what God gives, and what this means. So if you're taking notes, those three points are going to form the outline of the rest of the sermon. What we've earned, what God gives, and what this means. The answers are quite simple. What we've earned is death. What God gives is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And what this means is that we should make Jesus our Lord. That's what we're going to think about this morning. Let's begin with the first point, what we've earned. I want us to take a, an in-depth look at what we've earned. Read Romans 6, verse 23 again. I, I almost want you to memorize this verse by the time we get to the end of this sermon. I'm going to read it a bunch. Romans 6, 23. Set your eyes on it. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as I hinted at earlier, this verse comes at the end of a long argument by the Apostle Paul. And it's almost as if this single verse is actually summarizing the whole force of Romans chapter 6. Throughout the chapter, Paul has been talking about slavery to sin and slavery to God. Because in this life, we either live for God or we live for sin. Either God is our master or sin is our master. We either serve God or we serve sin. There are only two ways to live. And because there are only two ways to live, there are only two ends to this life. There's either death or there's eternal life. And given that Paul says the wages of sin is death, we have to think deeply about what Paul means by death here. Um, when Paul mentions death there in verse 23, he means something uh, more than just natural death. He certainly means to include natural death, but he means something more than that as well. Remember back to um, Genesis chapter 3, our reading earlier in the service, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and God promised that death would enter the world, and Satan said, oh, you will surely not die. But Satan's a liar, and death entered the world. We, we know that. We know that by our own experience. But Paul, we know that he means something more than just natural physical death. Because he places it in parallel. Did you see that there? He places it in parallel to eternal life. While the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life. So death here is the antithesis of eternal life. These are two opposite 
realities. Paul uses this word translated death a number of times in his letter. And when that word is set off by itself, it, it gives us the impression of the end of something. But as I said, because death is set in parallel to eternal life, uh, we know that death will go on for as long as eternal life will go on. It's not the end of something. Those who were reading uh, in Paul's letter there in Rome, the Christians there, particularly those who had a Jewish background, uh, would have known what Paul was getting at through this construction, this parallel setting. They would have known and remembered what the Old Testament scriptures taught. That They would have known and remembered especially what uh, I- Isaiah taught when he talked about death in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24, where we read this. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Isaiah is trying to get a, give a picture that the death in view is an eternal death. An eternal death that's actually consciously experienced. So Daniel says something similar. We're talking about uh, death as everlasting shame in Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. That when uh, all, all who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see the death in view here is that of an eternal death. This death that Paul is speaking of is not going to be something that is experienced unconsciously. Rather, sadly, those who experience this death will consciously and constantly experience this death. Just as those who receive the free gift of God will constantly and consciously experience eternal life, so those who will reject the free gift of God will consciously experience this death. This is what the Bible teaches That the wages of sin is death, is an eternal death. So, I want you to see this from from a New Testament perspective. We thought about it from the Old Testament perspective. Keep one finger here, if you would, in Romans chapter 6, and turn in your Bibles to nearly the very end of your Bibles, to Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 to 11. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage beginning on page 1036. Now, though this passage is filled with metaphors... Um, it still has a literal meaning. And, and the meaning is simply this, that those who do not worship God, but instead worship and serve all that is opposed to God, will be tormented with no rest for all eternity. Read the Apostle John's sobering message there in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 to 11. And another angel A third, follow them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone who worships the beast in its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image... And whoever receives the mark of its name. Do you see how sobering these wages are? There will be no rest for those who do not receive the free gift of God. No, sadly, they will constantly and consciously, eternally endure God's just wrath. What John says in Revelation about the eternal conscious torment of those who do not receive God's free gift is confirmed elsewhere. In Scripture, we saw some Old Testament passages But Jesus, 
in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, will ultimately say that the wicked will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go away into eternal life. I'll turn back to Romans chapter 6, verse 23 again. You see that we see that this is precisely the parallel of eternal life and death that Paul has in mind. So, if what Paul means by death here is the death that Jesus taught about, the death that the Old Testament taught about, the, the, the death that John in Revelation taught about, consists of eternal self-conscious torment, then we've got to ask ourselves, why does sin earn this death? Why have sinners earned this death? Well, Paul's logic, as you can see in the verse, is startlingly straightforward here, isn't it? The, the wages of sin is death. Now, most of us know what a, a wage is. Right? It's payment for work or for services rendered. In fact, this word wages just has that meaning. Um, in Paul's day, it was the payment due to a Roman soldier for his labors, for the work that he performed. So John Gill, one commentator, reflecting on this concept, put it like this. Sin is represented as a king, a mighty monarch, a tyrannical prince, and sinners are his subjects and vassals, his servants and soldiers who fight under him and for him and all the wages they must expect from him is death. So we have worked in sin. We've been soldiers for sin, is what Paul is saying. And what we should expect is to be paid the wages of sin. And that is death. That's what Paul is saying here. At the end of the day, that's what we've earned. We've earned death. Our lives have justly merited death. Death is our due. Death is what we deserve. Now, perhaps you think to yourself, now wait a minute, why have I earned this death? I mean, the answer is simple. Because you have sinned. We have all sinned. Paul made this very point earlier in his letter. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But maybe now you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't even know what sin is. What do you mean I've, I've sinned? How could I have sinned against God? Well, sin in the Bible is described in a number of ways, but it's very often described in terms of falling short of God's glory, his moral standard of perfection, of missing the mark. The old catechisms put it this way, sin is any want, it's an old word for lack, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So we can fall short of keeping God's law and we can positively break God's law. We can transgress God's law. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says that sin is lawlessness. And we, we can break God's law by uh, sins of commission or sins of omission. So, so think to yourself. Have you ever failed to love God with all of your heart and soul? Well, if you have, you've sinned. Have you ever sought the praise of other to the exclusion of the praise of God? If you have, you've sinned because you're stealing praise that belongs to God. Have you ever used God's name in vain, emptying it of its glory and honor? Well, if so, you've sinned. Have, have you ever ordered your days without consideration to God, who He is? If so, you've sinned because He's the Lord of our time and has the right to order our time. Have you, children, have you ever spoken disrespectfully to your parents? Have you failed to honor them and obey them when you really should have? Well, if so, you've sinned. 
Have you ever hated someone in your heart? Jesus says that you've murdered them in your heart. You've, you've sinned against God. Someone made in his image. Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? Stealing. You've sinned. Have you ever lied or shaded the truth so as to intentionally mislead someone? That's sin. Have you ever lusted after someone in your heart who's not your spouse? Jesus calls that adultery. That's sin. Have you ever been discontent with what God has given you? Maybe even in the last 24 hours. Well then, friend, that is sin too. Because God's the giver of all good gifts. You're, you're actually passing judgment on God in your discontent by effectively saying he doesn't know what's best for me. Friends, we have all sinned against God. We have all sinned against God in thought, in word, and in deed. We have sinned more times than we care to remember. We have actually sinned more times than we can even remember. And I want to urge each one of us here this morning not actually to suppress the truth. So if, if this is like pressing in upon you, you're thinking, I, I really don't want to hear this. I'm going to block this out for a minute. Friend, if you do that, you're not going to hear the freedom and joy that the good gift that God gives is. We, we have to actually sit with this for a minute and recognize that what we have earned is eternal condemnation from the infinite and intelligent God, the one who is holy, just, and good. Friends, we've, we've all sinned against God. And the reality is that we're guilty. And this is it's even subtly evident in this time of year, isn't it? I mean, think of, think of the Christmas songs on the radio. What's that one? Uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, isn't it? The line that sticks out in our mind uh, is, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good, for goodness sake. You know, similarly, in the last 10 years or so, that's an older-ish song, but in the last 10 years or so, there's a new tradition that's cropped up that underscores actually our innate sense that someone's watching. Uh, perhaps you've heard of the Elf on the Shelf book and tradition. So according to the publisher's website, uh, families, they buy and they read this book, which comes with a little elf, and then that elf sits somewhere up on a, a shelf um, at, during the Christmas season. He watches what goes on, supposedly, and at night, he flies back to the North Pole and he reports to Santa each evening of who's been naughty or nice. And this, this actually, I think, taps into our intuitive sense that we are daily being watched by someone. We're being observed. And the truth is, is we are being watched. We are being observed. We're being watched by God himself. Right? So, so Dennis uh, prayed earlier from Psalm 139. Uh, that, that shows us that God is aware of everything. It speaks of his omniscience and his omnipotence. Uh, so, so Psalm 139, David says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, when you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God sees. He sees everything. So Proverbs 15 verse 3 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. 
So God, He sees not only our visible deeds, like that little elf on the shelf supposedly can. No, God sees what we think, as the psalmist, as David said. He sees into our hearts. He knows what we're going to speak. God never ceases seeing. When we're alone or we're with others, He sees what you think and feel and plan in the privacy of your own heart. You think that's a private place, but it's not. God can see what's going on there. If we were to keep reading, I read a significant portion of Psalm 139, but if we were to keep reading in that psalm, we would continue to hear about God's omniscience, His perfect knowledge of all things. We would continue to hear about God's omnipresence, His perfect presence in all places. God has seen our sin, and He knows what it deserves. Children, uh, boys and girls, I I wonder if it is easier for you to obey when you know that your parents or teacher are watching. Have you ever stopped to think that God knows about the depths of your heart? What would He find there? Would He find honor for Him there? Children, this is why you and your siblings and your parents and and I, this is why we need Jesus. It's why we need a Savior. We cannot be good enough on our own. Even, Even if we obey outwardly, which is hard enough as it is, isn't it? Even if we obey outwardly, our hearts give us away because we do not always love God most, even when we want to. This is why we need new hearts, which is what Jesus came to give us. So, children, let me encourage you to talk with your parents this afternoon or this evening uh, about what it would mean to have a new heart and for God to give you a new heart. Now, we are um, we're self-justifying creatures. We want to often say, no, no, I'm in the right and I'm in the right for these reasons. So I'm sure that we've kind of often thought to ourselves, how do these seemingly temporal sins, like maybe you're willing to admit, yeah, 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 I'm a sinner, okay, I've, I've sinned against God. Maybe you're willing to go that far and admit that. But maybe you've thought to yourself, how do these seemingly temporal sins against God amount to the wage of an eternal death? I mean, our sins are limited, so why is the wages of sin, wages due to them, seemingly limitless. Why is eternal punishment the wages of sin? Well, it's because when we sin, we sin against the infinite and eternal God. And therefore, apart from Jesus, we will be eternally rewarded for our sin. Eternal death, consisting of of conscious punishment, is indeed what we have earned. Is it what we will be given? That's the question I hope that is percolating in your heart and your mind today. Is this what I will be given? Will I be given what my sins deserve? Now, in in contrast to what we deserve and what we've earned as our life's wage, we need to consider what God gives to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the second point that we want to consider together this morning. What God gives. And as we consider this point, read Romans 6.23 again. Do you see that verse? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, 
before we look precisely at the gift that God gives, let's just step back for a moment. Friends, brothers and sisters, take in who is giving this gift. God is giving this gift. The God who is infinite and eternal and unchangeable. In his being, he is wise and powerful and holy and just and good, full of truth. This God is giving this gift. God, the one who made the world and all that is in it, is giving this gift. God, who preserves and governs the entire course of human history, is the one who is giving this gift. And in the next few minutes, I, I trust we'll see why this is an important observation. I, I, I trust that when we see this gift, we'll see that God is in fact the only one who could give such a gift. The, the free gift of God, you see that phrase there, the free gift of God is quite simply eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what does it mean that this gift is, is free? It means that this gift is not something that we can purchase or earn. It's freely given by God. It's a, a grace gift from God. We can and have earned the wages of sin, but we can't earn this gift. That is important to keep clear in your mind. We can't live in such a way that obligates God to give this gift. We, we can't even live in such a way that, that makes God feel obligated to give this gift. I don't know about you, but maybe you've had this, um, this feeling in this uh, Christmas season. Maybe somebody got you a gift and you didn't get them one. And you think to yourself, oh no, I feel like I, I, like I owe them now. I need to give them a gift. We need to realize that we cannot even make God feel that way. Like we try to give him our, our good works. God does not then feel obligated to us. That's not how it works for God. He graciously and generously and freely gives this gift with, without, uh, without such a, a, a feeling that is evoked by our good works. No, we, we can't even make God feel obligated in this way. Um, in fact, what we do give to God, or what we attempt to give to God, in and of ourselves, uh, he, he tells us what it's actually like to him. So in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, when we, when we try to give our, our good works to God, Isaiah says this, we have, We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment in the sight of God. See, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. When we try to do good works apart from our faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we're giving God, a, a polluted garment, a filthy rag. And our filthy rags are the best that we can give to God, and they certainly don't merit eternal life. Our filthy rags can't and don't earn salvation for us. Now, friends, think about this for a moment. Have you been living this way, maybe even subconsciously? Have you been trying to earn forgiveness and acceptance with God? I mean... Going to church on the weekends of Christmas and Easter, for example, in order to earn forgiveness and acceptance from God, doesn't work. Uh, going to church every Sunday of the year or being a member of a church to earn forgiveness and acceptance from God doesn't work. Um, Bible reading, prayer meetings, Christian book clubs, feeding the poor, giving to charities, personal evangelism, and fasting may all be good things to do like church attendance and church membership, they may even be extremely important in your personal spiritual growth. But none of them will earn you favor or forgiveness from God. They don't work. Surprisingly, living this way, offering your good works 
to God as payment for it, favor and forgiveness from him is actually nothing but self-worship. It's like saying, see just how good these things are, God? Do you see what I'm giving to you? They're, they're worth a whole lot. They're worth forgiveness. They're, they're worthy of acceptance. See what good things I have done. Now, we never really talk to God like that. We, we don't ever audibly say these things. But it's what we're actually inaudibly saying when we're performing good works in the hopes of earning favor and forgiveness from God. So this gift is not something that we can earn. Rather, it's something that God freely gives. And the word for free gift there in the Greek is charisma, uh, which means unmerited. Uh, Sometimes that word is translated grace in the New Testament. The ESV, I think, has done a good job in translating the word here. The translators are continuing to hold the train of thought because this gift is being held in parallel and contrasted to wages there. Whereas our sins have earned death, we cannot earn eternal life. So if we're to obtain eternal life, it must be freely given to us by God as a gift. We know that we can't earn God's favor. We can't earn eternal life. But what is eternal life? We should should understand what's the nature of this gift that God gives. Well, that word eternal is ionios. It's properly translated eternal, everlasting, or not of this age, but of the age to come. We get our word for eons from this word. The eternity or age that is in view here is qualitatively different than this present age, this present life. That's true for several reasons. One of which is because in that age to come, God has finally consummated his triumph over evil. That age is also qualitatively different because this present age has an end where that age to come does not have an end. That's why this this word here is so often translated eternal or everlasting. So eternal life then is life of the age to come. And as I said earlier, this age has no end. So this life goes on for all eternity. Helpfully, Jesus gives us his own definition of eternal life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So you see, eternal life will consist of knowing God and Jesus. So again, as as many faithful Christian pastors have said before, if you can imagine eternal life or heaven without Jesus, you're not imagining the heaven, the eternal life that the Bible presents. Jesus Christ is is the center of that eternal life. It's knowing Him. And knowing in the Scriptures has connotations of a relationship. Believers will relate to God in perfect, wonderful love for all eternity. And God will relate to believers in perfect, wonderful love. But here's the thing. This eternal life, while it is of the age to come, it has actually broken into this dark, evil, sinful, present age. God's love has broken into this present evil age and he is capturing people by his love and for his love and in his love. And he is pulling us into the age to come. He's giving us what we do not deserve. How do we know this? Because we love this God who first loved us. He has given us a longing for a new home, a better home than even this present world. Most importantly, he has given us a love For his son. While God's people don't know eternal life in its fullness now, we do truly know and share in it now. We share in it now as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We share in it now as we die to sin, as we live to righteousness. We share in it now in that sin is no longer our master, and we are no longer earning its wages. Eternal life is a stop payment order from God. Isn't that wonderful news? That you're not going to receive eternal death that you deserve. Eternal life is a stop payment order from God. He sovereignly says you will not be paid the wages of your sin. Instead, you will be given what you do not deserve. Eternal life is the gift that God gives. He gives it in the here and now. He gives it freely of His grace and not through any works of righteousness which we have done. But how do we come to possess this gift of eternal life? God may give it, but how do we possess it? How do we receive this free gift of God? Well, the answer is right there in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Read it again. You see it? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, we come to possess this gift in and through Jesus Christ by receiving him as our Savior and our Lord. So some translations use the phrase through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to make clear how we come to possess or receive this free gift of God. We receive this free gift of God in faith and through faith in Jesus Christ. We come to possess this free gift of God by trusting in Jesus Christ, by being found in him. You know, in Christ is actually one of the Apostle Paul's favorite phrases to use. It's his all-encompassing way of describing a Christian's relationship to Christ. And it's a beautiful one at that. Sinners come to be found in Christ by accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for eternal life. St. Clair Ferguson, a pastor and scholar, has observed that faith not only rests upon Christ, but according to the language of the New Testament, it brings us into Christ. On some 50 occasions, we read of believing into Jesus. So when we come to believe in Jesus, we come to share in his life and death and resurrection. Make your way back, or if you're in Romans 6, make your way back to the beginning of the chapter. Look at verse 5 of Romans chapter 6, verse 5. We see something of this in Christ uh, aspect here. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you see what faith does? Faith brings us into Christ. So that he is paid for the wages of our sin in his death. And so that he secures the promise of eternal life in his resurrection. So friend, if you're, if you're here this morning, you're not a believer or follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not someone who's, who's actively giving your life to the Lord Jesus in faith day by day. Then this is the good news that I want you to hear about and receive today. Um, you, you need to bury the truth of this verse, Romans 6.23, deep in your heart. You need to confess that you've earned nothing but death, eternal death. And as I've already said, it's what we've all earned. You need to confess that you've sinned and that death is what you rightly deserve. But you also need to be found in Christ. So believe, believe that he lived for you the life of perfect obedience to God. The Bible tells us that Jesus knew no sin. We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And the Bible also tells us that Jesus was without sin. Read that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Christ Jesus did not earn the wages of sin. And yet, he was paid them in his death on the cross. 
This is what he was born for. Jesus was born to die. On the cross, he took upon himself the sins and the punishment due to them for all of those who had ever turned from their sin and placed their faith in him. Death, though, was not the end for Jesus. For three days after his death, God raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating him and proving to us all that his life and death on behalf of repenting sinners satisfied the just demands of God's law and that God's wrath itself was satisfied. Jesus Christ, he was raised in resurrection power never to die again. And because he lives in the power of eternal life now, he can give eternal life to all who stop trusting in themselves and trusting in their good works and start trusting in him and his work on their behalf. So friend, I I urge you today, right now, to turn from your sins and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Receive this free gift of God by believing in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if you want to know more about what it means, about how you might come to Jesus in faith, please come and find me at the door after the service. I'd love to talk with you about this good news of Jesus Christ, that you can receive this free and gracious gift of God. We've considered what we've earned and what God has given. And now let's turn and briefly consider what this means. Read Romans chapter 6, verse 23 again. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we've already considered really the main implication of this verse. We've already learned really what this means for each of us. What Romans 6.23 means for each of us is that each of us ought to receive the free gift of eternal life by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. But trusting in Jesus, putting our faith in Him, is not a one-time event. It's not something to be done once and then forgotten. It's not something to be prayed about in a prayer and then left there. But it's meant to be lived. And we see this here even in this verse. Paul means for us to take the last two words of Romans chapter 6, verse 23 seriously. See, we are to live with Jesus as our Lord. To live with Jesus as our Lord's means to trust Him each day and to render our lives in His service. Remember Paul's great contrast in the chapter. You're either serving God or you're serving sin. And here is Paul's call for us to serve Jesus, to serve God, serve Him as our Lord. So to live with Jesus as our Lord means to trust Him each day, to render our lives in the service of His name, to serve and obey Jesus. So sin is no longer the the Lord of who we are in Christ Jesus. But that does not mean we, um, we who are in Christ Jesus have no Lord. Everyone has a Lord. Everyone has a master. And it's either sin or it's Christ Jesus. So this is really the whole argument of Romans 6 coming to its culmination here. Since we have not been given what our sins deserve and instead have been given the gracious gift of eternal life, in Christ Jesus, we will now finally give God what He deserves. Our lives in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to go on sinning so that grace may abound, as Paul says in verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 6. Sin is not to reign in our, in our mortal bodies. We are not to obey the passions of our flesh, as Paul says in verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. Instead, we are to obey our new Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22, the verse just before our verse. Do you see Romans 6.22? Paul writes, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, 
The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Eternal life, the free gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, is what encourages our faith and spurs us on to live under Christ's lordship each day. So Christian, do you see how this free gift of God changes everything in your life? It changes your master. It changes your destiny. It changes your master. You're to, uh, you're to ignore sin's demands to worship the idols of your heart. And you're to worship the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So what want to be some examples of that. Well, when, when sin calls you to curse God for a hard providence, you say no. And you obey Jesus who calls you to count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that you are to let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Another example. When sin calls you to speak disrespectfully to your boss and to dismiss those whom God has set in authority over you, you say no, and you obey Jesus, who calls you to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Another example of this exchange for serving sin and serving Jesus as Lord. When sin calls you to discount the life of another person and to place your own interests above others, you say no and you obey the Lord Jesus who calls you to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility to, consult, to consider others, count others more significant than yourself. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3, another example of this exchange, how it takes place. Well, when sin calls you to embrace and indulge your lust, you say no. And you obey the Lord Jesus, who calls you to let the marriage, to let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed to be undefiled. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. When, when sin calls you to steal from your employer, or to withhold earnings from someone you have employed, you say no, and you obey the Lord Jesus, who calls you not only to give what is due, James chapter 5, verse 4, but who also calls you to be a generous and cheerful giver in all of life. When sin calls you to desire that which is contrary to God's will, you say no, and you obey the Lord Jesus, who calls you to give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Do you see how this free gift and Jesus' lordship changes everything for you? I wonder if you noticed how in each of those examples I gave that sin, it leads to death and destruction of all kinds. And yet obedience leads to Christ and to his glory and to our good. Eternal life has already been secured because God has freely given it as a gift to those who believe in Jesus Christ. But those who believe in Christ now obey Christ because they love their master and because they love what he has done for them. It's love that actually motivates our obedience to Jesus Christ. This free gift, it changes not only your master, but it also changes your destiny. You are no longer marching toward death. In Christ, you are marching toward life eternal. When we receive this free gift of God by faith in Jesus Christ, we can really hold this present life in perspective. We can live this present day in light of that final day, as Martin Luther once said. This gift of eternal life from God ought to order our days aright here on earth. It ought to set our priorities for each day. 
and to help us to look our own physical death in the face without fear. On the day that those who are in Christ die, they will not awake to the pain of eternal death, but to the face of the one who gives them eternal life. And as we conclude, I want us to think on how God's gracious gift, uh, continue to think on God's gracious gift to those who believe in Jesus. Perhaps you will have the next several days off of work or off of school uh, today, and over these next few days, uh, you might be thinking about gifts. Maybe there's something you've received in these last few days that you're particularly delighted in. Them. Um, let me encourage you to memorize Romans 6.23 over these next few days. And think about the wonderful gift of eternal life that God gives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is better than any other gift you have received this year or any previous year. Uh, we ought to rejoice in this gift from God on this day and every day that the Lord gives us life and breath. Because as Matthew Henry once said, sinners merit hell, but saints do not merit heaven. It is Christ that purchased it, prepared it, prepares us for it, and preserves us to it. Praise God for his gracious free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's give thanks to him now. Let's pray together.